thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Our Bible reading this morning comes from the New Testament, the letter from James. James 1, and I'll just move through to uh, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the Word. Well, I don't know how many of you, uh, perhaps some of you this morning, would have read that classic children's book, Guess How Much I Love You? Has anyone read that book before? Uh, it was published in 1994, written by Sam McBratney and illustrated by Anita Jerem. Uh, and it tells this kind of whimsical bedtime story uh, between big nut brown hair and little nut brown hair as they engage in a bit of a competition to try to see who loves each other more. Uh, each of them coming up with bigger and bigger comparisons of how much they love one another. Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter what little nut brown hair comes up with. Whatever comparison it is, how, how, how wide his arms are, how high he can jump, uh, seen all the way across the river, he's always kind of outdone by big nut brown hair, whose arms are wider, whose jump is higher, who can see not only across the river but over the hills as well. Uh, and it finally comes down to little nut brown hair rubbing his eyes and falling asleep. And as he does so, saying to big nut brown hair, I love you right up to the moon. And then he falls asleep. To which big nut brown hair whispers, I love you right to the moon and back. Oh. <laughs> For the sake of the illustration, I'd like you to consider James, the passage that we're looking at today, as our, the, our own version of big nut brown hair. Uh, urging us uh, again and again to think in even grander terms of what it means to love Jesus. But for James, the big thing for him is not uh, really about uh, kind of the, the, the way we would describe our love for Jesus as much as it is about how we actually show that love. If someone came to James and said, I love Jesus to the moon and back, James's response would be, show me. Uh, he wouldn't try to one-up them. He would just want them to demonstrate that love in really practical kinds of ways. And so the title for this series, Faith Lived Out Loud, is trying to reflect this idea for James, that James is interested in a faith that you can see, a faith that you can observe, uh, some sort of private, internalized uh, faith that nobody else knows about, as we'll see as we make our way through the rest of the book. James has almost no time for it all. 
He says, if you're going to have faith in Jesus, if you're going to believe in Jesus, if, if that's going to be true in your life, it needs to show up in your life. And so it shouldn't surprise us that after encouraging his readers to endure, to continue to live their faith out loud, that he begins to move into the areas of what that looks like in really practical sorts of ways. And you see this in the, uh, the little uh, uh, proverbial statement, I suppose, in, chapter 19, uh, sorry, in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And these three kind of statements end up shaping the rest of what James has to say. Now, he doesn't deal with them in that order, and he doesn't repeat the language, but essentially he focuses on anger, he focuses on listening, in particular to the Word of God, and thirdly, he focuses on speech. And so basically what we want to do is have a look at what James has to say with, with a focus on the emphasis on action, the demonstration of what love of God looks like. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to have a bit of a look, whether you've got kind of the old uh, hard copy or just a soft copy, so you can kind of follow James's thinking. Because James's style of writing is such that it's sometimes a little bit hard to trace uh, his thought. And you, you find this as we go through this. So he begins where he ends. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's the first thing that he starts with. He says, we should be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Can anyone argue with that? Not really. Now, we know that our anger, well, is very rarely related to the righteousness of God. Now, righteousness for, for James is not some sort of abstract idea. It's actually the rightness that comes from living in relationship with God. It has to do with words, it has to do with deeds, it has to do with attitudes. It's the way in which we live rightly in relationship to God. And when you think about our anger, human anger, very rarely does our anger turn into things that would be pleasing to God. When we get angry, we say and do things that we tend to regret, don't we? Which is not the kingdom of God. It's not the righteousness that God demands. Oh, sometimes, sometimes there's a kernel of truth in our anger, right? Sometimes we have been unjustly done by. Sometimes uh, we have been undermined. Sometimes uh, the disappointment is real. But often we're angry because we didn't get our way, if we're really honest with ourselves, right? Things didn't go the way I wanted them to go for me. And this does not bring about the kingdom of God, which is what James is, is talking about in terms of the, the righteousness of God. He wants the kingdom, right living in relationship with God across the board. But our human anger doesn't bring those sorts of things. And therefore, we should be those who, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Uh, evil intentions, uh, evil attitudes, uh, moral or lack of moral integrity, add that to anger, and you're never going to get the righteousness of God, are you? The righteousness of God comes when we are slow to anger. Notice that he gives us permission to get angry, but just really slowly. And can I remind you, in Exodus chapter 34, when God describes himself to Moses, one of, the, one of the first characteristics he mentions is that he, the Lord, is slow to anger. 
So when we are slow to anger, we are emulating and we are trying to act like God does. But God always has a good motivation. He always has a good intention. He always desires righteousness and holiness and justice. And he is slow to anger. How much slower ought you and I to be? Because we know that our intentions are so often mixed. Uh, Our motivations are mixed. We desire what's good for me and for us rather than what's good for the world or those around us. This is where he begins. You want to show me how much you love Jesus? Then be slow in your anger. Don't act in any way that's not going to bring about the righteousness of God. In fact, humbly accept this word, the the word that we have heard not only in, in, in Scripture, but through Jesus who taught from Scripture. That will tell you whether or not the outcome of your anger is actually bringing about the righteousness of God. This is your standard. You want to know whether your, right, sorry, your anger is righteous? Well, it better line up with what you find here. And if it doesn't, then it's not, and you need to count to 10 again, or 100, or 1,000, or whatever it takes to be slower in your anger. And from here, James then continues on to talk about listening. Uh, he's just spoken about humbly accepting the word, and now says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Fairly clear, isn't it? And yet he feels that it's necessary to give people a bit of a parable. And it's a curious one. It's the one about the mirror. It's almost comical, isn't it? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Which is almost comical, isn't it? It suggests that there's a man about to go to work, he looks in the mirror and makes sure he looks fine, walks out the door, gets to the bus stop, pulls out his phone, has a bit of a look at his his backdrop, sees a picture of himself and says, who's that on my phone? It's like he doesn't recognize himself, but I don't think that's actually the point that James is making here. His point is really simple, isn't it? If you listen to the word and don't do it, there's a serious problem. And he compares it to a mirror. Now think about mirrors for a moment. Apart from eating and and drinking and sleeping, looking in the mirror is probably one of those things that we do every day. Well, and looking at our phone and all that kind of stuff, right? We do it all the time, don't we? Every morning I look at myself in the mirror as I brush my teeth, as I shave, as I kind of make sure my hair is not sticking up in weird angles, right? I might look at myself in the mirror before I walk out the door to make sure my shirt is ironed or to put on a vest if I need to, right? I I may look in the mirror to make sure there are no kind of stains and everything's tucked in, all that kind of stuff, and then I leave the house. And do I think again about looking at myself in the mirror? No. It's completely gone from my mind. In fact, if you kind of stopped me at some point and said, did you look at yourself in the mirror today? I'd be like, "Uh, yes, I did. Does that matter? No. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't really make a difference in our lives. The only thing it changes is I might go and kind of get that piece of toast out of my teeth or get a vest or change my shirt or tuck in whatever's not tucked in or whatever. That's it. It doesn't make a difference in the rest of my life. And James says, just like looking in a mirror makes basically no difference to your life, so reading the Word and doing nothing about it will make no difference. 
the blessing, the blessing that comes from the word. And listen to how he describes it. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have done, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's in the doing that the blessing comes. And notice his emphasis on it. Whoever looks intently into the law and continues in it, not forgetting, but doing, they'll be blessed in the doing. Do you think he's, is he clear enough? The blessing comes from doing this. It's not enough to hear it. It's not enough to hear it. Now, you may have picked up that, that little phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. And for James, writing very early in the Christian era, he's most likely speaking about what we would call the Old Testament. He's talking about the law of God that had been, had been interpreted by Jesus for the followers that he was writing to, his dear friends in this case. And we tend to think about the Old Testament law not as something that brings freedom, do we? Now, most people, when they think about the law, they think about restrictions. Uh, they think about you know, things we can't do. They think about prohibitions. They think about do's and don'ts and all of those sorts of things, which is a really lousy way to think about law because we don't think about any other laws quite like that, do we? Think about the rules of the road. Think about them for a moment. They bring freedom, don't they? Imagine if we had no road rules. If it was just open slather, just get in your car and drive. Some of you have been to countries where that seems to be the road rules, right? Imagine if that, like, just, a, it's not freedom, that's chaos. But the road rules have been designed so that we drive on certain sides of the road, that we drive at certain speed limits, that even the quality of our cars and vehicles are to a certain standard in order that we might have true autonomy and freedom as we travel. And our road rules are far from perfect. But this law, this law gives freedom. But not just to those who hear it, James says, but to those who do it. To those who do it. You can see his emphasis. He's kind of banging on this drum pretty hard, isn't he? Because then he shifts to talk about speech in this last little section. And once again, his interest is not in speaking, but in doing. So those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. It has no value. It is vain, empty, without worth. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, James is going to talk a great deal about the tongue in chapter 3. He's got a whole lot to say in chapter 3. I think here his point is very simple. A religion that's just about talking, pointless, utterly pointless. Essentially, James says, don't tell me about how great your religion is. Show me how great your religion is. You want me to follow whatever you're following, whoever you're following? Show me. Don't tell me about it. Talk is cheap. If you're going to tell me about your religion, it better be in your actions, and in particular in two. The first is to care for orphans and widows in their distress. Now, James has a bit to say about those who are in distress and the valuelessness of talk. In chapter 2, verse 16, 15 and 16, which we'll look at in a few weeks' time, he says this, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? The answer is, not much. All you say is, yeah, look after yourself, hope everything goes well, but you do nothing. Yeah, says James, whatever. Show me. Religion that matters is religion that cares for those in distress. And you know, in this, we are also taking on the character of God, aren't we? If you've ever read through the entire Bible and done it kind of quickly enough to, to kind of pick up some of the themes within it, it is really hard to read the Bible and not come to the conclusion that God is biased towards the poor and the marginalized. Now, we know that he cares for everyone. We know that he shows no favoritism, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, you read the Bible through and what you find is God saying, essentially, when you look at the poor and distressed, when you look at those who are marginalized, you see people who stand alone, who have no one and nothing in their corner, no resources to help them. You need to realize that I am in their corner. So you should treat them not like people who have nothing and have no one, but you should treat them like people that I am caring for. How would you care for people that you knew were God's favorites? If God said, here's a group of people, there's a family, a group of families, these are my favorite people on the planet, how would you treat them? God says the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized are my favorite people. I don't show favoritism. I love everybody. If they're my favorites, you can work that one out. This is how we show our love for God. And then we show our love for God by not becoming polluted or stained by the world. And this has to do, I think, with, again, hearing the Word of God and humbly accepting the Word of God to... If I can use a really modern sort of illustration that James would never have thought of because it didn't exist, we scotch guard our lives <laughs> by sub submerging ourselves, by marinating ourselves in the Word of God so that we know what God loves, that we know what God prioritizes, that we know what God values. Well, when we do that, we scotch guard ourselves so that when we interact, because we always interact, with people who have very different values and very different priorities, who have very different judgments of what is good and bad, right and wrong, wise and foolish, when we rub up against them, if those things are not in line with Scripture, then they will just wipe off. And we will not be stained or spotted by those things. They won't influence us in terms of how we then are acting. This is James's big idea. This is it. We got another 10 weeks of this. Show me. And then he tells you how you can show that you love God. By being slow to speak, by being quick to listen, by being slow to anger, we demonstrate our love of God. And it's quite clear that that's the case, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. When we are slow to anger, we are not only emulating God because we think that what He is and who He is is worth emulating, but we are also those who are considering what He wants, right? Because our anger produces a different outcome than God desires. God desires righteousness. 
So if we are slow to anger, then what we are basically saying is we want what God wants. And isn't that the definition of love? We want what is good for the one that is loved. We want to help them achieve their goals. Isn't that parenting? To help our children become all that they can be? To to, to help them achieve their goals? to, To be successful in this life? We show our love to God by wanting God to be successful. We want God's righteousness to come. We want his kingdom to come. And so we do all that we can to be slow in our anger and humbly accept his word that we might know his righteousness when we see it and advance that. We show our love for God when we are slow to anger. We show our love for God when we listen to his word and do it. And isn't that love? If someone that you love expresses a desire for something, don't you, don't you try to make that happen? I hear it all the time. Oh, my wife and I are going to go to such and such a place because she's always talked about wanting to go there. Now, I don't press and say, so why are you going, right? <laughs> You're going because the one that you love has expressed a desire to go there. And so you have been quick to listen and you have done something about it. Now, it might have taken years to save the money to go to that place that you wanted to go to, but you get the principle, right? And you think about people that James is writing to who are under pressure. And for people under pressure, it's even more important to be quick to listen and to do, isn't it? Think about soldiers in the context of conflict. They have to be quick to listen to their commanding officer for their own safety and for the safety of their section, their platoon, their group, right, their unit. Those on the sporting field need to be quick to listen under pressure and do because they've been called to something. They don't have time to think and have a long conversation. They have to be quick to listen. And we express our love for God by being quick to listen. And we profess our love and demonstrate our love for God by showing other people how God loves. Because God is not a distant inactive God, but one who is always at work. We don't believe that God is on some nebula somewhere, kind of, you know, chilling out and just kind of hanging out in the galaxy until the world ends. We believe He's active here and now, that He's gone ahead of us. We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in coincidences. We believe that everywhere we go and in everything we do, God is actually at work. So when an opportunity appears and we have a chance to do something with God, we know that God's already there. And together we work together to bring about and participate with Him in bringing about His plans and purposes for the world, which are to bring restoration and renewal of all things in Christ Jesus. We show our love of God by being active in our demonstration of it. And particularly for those who are marginalized. This is it. Can I just say, I think we have a particularly difficult time doing the things that God tells us to do. And it's not because we're recalcitrant or particularly stubborn or unwilling to obey, but because we're not very focused. Now, this is how our weeks work. Something like this, isn't it? Tuesday night, you go to life group, have a Bible study, and you read through some passage, you have a good discussion about it, you think, you know what? There's a bunch of stuff I need to do out of that. That's fantastic. And you go home intending to do something about it. But 
The next morning on the train, you listen to a podcast from, from some, one of your favorite preachers, and uh, man, she's got some great points. And she says some stuff that you kind of go, I've got to do that. I've got to apply that to my life. And last night's message is lost because now you have replaced it with something else. And then you get to Sunday and you hear another message. That's fantastic. And there's stuff for me to do. And now Wednesday's message is forgotten and Tuesday night's message is forgotten. And then you go to Bible study again on Tuesday. And we hear all these things to do and we agree with them and say, yes. And we end up with a thousand applications and we do none of them. I don't know what James would say, but this is what I say. Pick something. Just pick one. Is God going to be disappointed if you pick the wrong one? No. No, no, no. Just do something. And focus for a week, a month, a year, a lifetime, whatever. Just pick something and begin to do what God has called us to. Because we can be frozen, can't we, by our lack of of focus and by the fact that there's so much to do. There's so much to do. What do I start with? Don't care. Pick something. If you want to know, ask a friend who knows you well. They'll be able to point out an area or two you might want to start with, right? You've got to love friends. Right? To our statement that, that we would say that we love Jesus, James doesn't want to know whether it's this much or this much he doesn't, he doesn't care if it's out to the old auditorium and back or down to Gaimea and, no, down to Gaimea and back, across to Kirui and back, to the moon and back. His answer to all of that, to those who profess to love Jesus, is show me. You have now heard the word. Do not treat this like a mirror, but go and do it not forgetting it, but continuing in it, because those who do are blessed in the doing.